This episode is brought to you by Snapple. Want to know another Snapple fact? The first hot air balloon passengers were a sheep, a duck, and a rooster. Ridiculous. Check out Snapple.com to find ridiculously flavored Snapple near you. I'm Joseph. And I'm Nick. And this is Fish Jelly. Mmm. How are you? I'm good. How are you? Okay. Yeah. It's Saturday. Yeah. We're recording this a day early. Yes. Because you're flying away later today. I am. So hope that goes well. Same. Yeah. Yeah. Where to begin? We watched Monique's interview on Club Shay Shay uh-huh. with good old Shannon Sharp. <sighs> this is after the tidal wave that was Cat Williams' interview. Uh huh. And. I mean, people are saying that if Cat Williams was, you know, shooting shots, Monique dropped bombs. Uh, I thought Cat Williams seemed a little more out of control, but. I agree. And, you know, Monique, because we follow her pretty closely, really, anyway, with interest. So she didn't say anything new to me with the gripe she has with the people she has that. Those were all things I've heard before. Yeah, I like I guess like you said, because we are um very familiar with her work and I'm a big fan of hers. Yeah, none of this was really that shocking. I, I think what is happening now is suddenly Shay Shay uh is providing a platform for people to get on and air their grievances. Air their grievances and everybody's paying attention. So it's all be all of this energy is being funneled in the same way to, or towards the same thing. I have so much to say about this. <laughs> well, let's get into it. Where to even begin? So for people who don't know Monique, who spells her name, her professional name, M-O apostrophe N-I-Q-U-E. Shade. And I'm saying this because Shannon Sharp, who I think seems like a really nice guy, and I do enjoy him. He says, what, he asked her, why do you spell your name M-O apostrophe? Uh, hyphen. Hyphen N-I-Q-U-E. And I'm like, okay, well, it's not a hyphen. It's an apostrophe. Uh-huh. Surely she will correct him. She does not. And then she spells her name and she goes, well, I spell my name, name M-O hyphen N-I-Q-U-E. And I just thought, girl. Which is funny because they also talk about Monique's edu- history with education, which. Oh, I have like, I just have so much to say about her because I have all, I mean, I have liked her since the parkers which i did watch i remember her because you know the parkers is a spinoff from moesha because mm-hmm. um moesha's best friend kim would always talk about her mom and we never saw her until we finally did mm-hmm. and it was monique and then that's what led to the spinoff so as an as like as a comedian i think she's like a plus mm-hmm. as an actor like in a, in that sitcom was great. Obviously, she won an Academy Award for Best Supporting Actress for the film Precious back in two thousand. Based on the novel Push by Sapphire. <laughs> yes. Mm-hmm. What, which, what, which what was, was the year? Two thousand. Two thousand nine. Two thousand nine. Mm-hmm. But she, her career took a very serious downturn when she refused to do international press for the film precious after it was getting oscar buzz and then she talked about why she didn't and she brought up um, some pretty powerful names like tyler perry and oprah winfrey 
And then she just didn't work anymore. And of course said that she had been blackballed. Well, she, and she bit the hand that was feeding her, which was Lee Daniels. And then, so, she, so she had a very dry spell for a long time. Then she sort of reignited the, the blackballing uh, flame by complaining that Netflix didn't offer her an amount that she thought was. They lowballed her. Mm-hmm. She feels like they lowballed her because she's a legend. And then they pay Amy Schumer $13 million, And for they a, only offer her like 250000 And for a uh, special, that ended up being very so-so. So, I, you know. And then eventually did the special. And then it was so-so. And probably the most remarkable thing. And that special came out last year. Oh, I meant Amy Schumer's. but <laughs> Oh, no, well, but, but it got streams. So yeah. that's what they paid for. And yeah. we already talked about that. But, and then. Monique went on to years later do a Netflix special and I'm assuming they paid her enough to feel good about Mm -hmm. and that was fine she came out as queer kind of in that special but then has not brought it up since Uh certainly didn't bring it up in this interview which we can talk about well I don't think I don't think Shay Shay knows how to talk to gay people probably not probably not but I don't think that he's not gay friendly. I no. just don't think it's in the scope. I mean, he seems to have a limited scope anyway. Mm-hmm. <laughs> but, and clearly doesn't like confrontation. But no. yeah. Which I think which I think is part of his charm because he is this very imposing figure physically. Like yes. he's 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 big and he's very muscular, but then he seems like a cuddly teddy bear. Well he doesn't control the room. No. And so. I think that's what's probably gonna allow him to continue to do this and not be ridiculed or take uh heat from it because he's just kind of like the nice guy who's letting you talk on camera Uh, (laughs) but anyway so monique gets on and i'm just gonna go through the things that popped out to me so first of all she is married to this man sydney hicks Uh and is his name i know (laughs) and she refers to him as her king she has children with him he's her manager and for years now, when you hear about her, people often talk about her being difficult because of Precious, but also people talk about how they don't like, like the, the fact that her husband is a manager is a problem. Yeah. So, you know, I don't work in entertainment. It does feel odd to be represented, like to know that she's represented by her husband. Well, it's just, it's a situation that is allowed, but there are clear conflicts of interest, I think, uh, in some of those relationships. But of course, I don't know. It's just like, that's what you always hear about Monique is that her husband's her manager and she's difficult to work with. He's difficult to work with. But the thing that stuck out to me first is Shannon asked, how did you two meet? And she goes, oh, we've known each other since I was 14, like since we were kids. He's a brother to me. Like she kept saying like he's like my brother he's like my brother that became her daddy and then she likes to call him daddy and that he raised her which we can talk about but so Uh keeping that in mind we know that monique has talked about and her another brother of hers because she has two brothers i believe one of her brothers molested her Uh as a kid and that brother actually went on oprah which we can talk about too but Knowing that she was molested by her brother and she's traumatized from that, I just find it so odd that she describes her now husband as like this person she's known since she was a kid who is like her brother. With incestuous terms. You couldn't you couldn't count on two hands. Like you wouldn't have enough fingers to count on two hands the number of times she refers to him as her brother. And then when she describes the moment that switch turned to him being her lover, it's very odd. It's 
interesting. It it's interesting in a way that whatever works for them that's healthy and consensual is great. But what would be more fascinating is somebody that asks asks the correct questions. So the reason I bring it up is because a I just found it so strange that a woman who has that sort of history of sexual abuse with a family member and then the way she describes her husband as being not only her brother but her father Mm -hmm. and like someone who raised her and says that he took her out of being like this angry 15 year old girl but then also you know in this interview she didn't but in other interviews and on stage she talks about the sex and she talks about their open relationship and she's talked about having sex with women which of course she avoided talking about in this well she also was not asked but but she wasn't asked but the reason I brought it up is because it's interesting, but also I think Monique's problem after listening to her for two hours talking to Shannon Sharp is she has this pious nature to her. And she people make fun of her for like, baby, mm-hmm. baby, listen, I love us. My sister, my brother, I love... She just acts like she's like this, like soothsayer or something Mm -hmm. but then it's like you seem to have troubles because when you describe your life it sounds like you've had a lot of issues you made a lot of poor decisions including the one that has kept your career in the toilet for the past 12 years why would we listen to you she says something about like she wishes she could take her husband and put him in a bottle mm-hmm. and so give him other, to... so that other black women could uh, experience what love from a, a real black, black king man, is a like, black king is like. And I'm not a black woman, but I'm certain that there are black women out there who would hear Monique and think, "Bitch, who the fuck are you talking to? Like you, you have like." I like I just don't think she's very self-aware. She's not and it speaks to it she sounds brainwashed, okay? And and she I, does. and I should preface this with saying I also find her uh fascinating and talented and I will always watch her, but it's she seems condescending and patronizing. I agree. I I I think listen because and this is based off me knowing her for decades as an entertainer and hearing the things she says. We know that she had a rough childhood. She suffered abuse. She was not a good student. Certainly not scholastic. She was in special education because she probably had a learning disability. The way she describes it is like she's half dumb and half bored. See, I don't think she's dumb. I I just think she she won't she doesn't want to do what she doesn't want to do which is something i can relate to she's also described making a lot of poor business decisions not understanding the business which has affected her money namely the fact that she's on a syndicated show the parkers and didn't get the kind of is not getting the kind of money she's not giving numbers in that regard so i don't necessarily trust like (laughs) what she's saying because She's certainly getting residuals. Yes. She's just acting like she's not getting. Well, that's the, the the reason those details aren't being trotted out here like all the others is because she has created a persona of martyrdom. Right. So I think I, I think what I'm trying to say is I I imagine that Monique is difficult because if all you ever talk about is baby, I love us, my sister, positivity, I don't come for anyone, if that's really true then why do very few people in the industry fuck with you? Why have you won an Oscar and then 13 years later still don't really... Only been in five or six movies. You've only been in five or six movies. And they're they're not like mainstream things. Like no one's checking for you. She does tell a story about Will Packer because she says there's only one person in the industry who would say anything negative about me. And I think, I don't know that that's... 
like that can't be right because you'd be working all the time. This this uh, interview was full of contradictions, full yeah. of it. Mm -hmm. But she talks about Will Packer, who is a notable producer, mm -hmm. um, who produced the film Almost Christmas, which With, I recall really enjoying Monique in that movie. She's the highlight. She, yeah. she is well, Gab Union is pretty good in that. Too. Yes, but she plays an auntie, mm -hmm. and she says that the man who directed that movie. Mm -hmm whose name I don't recall anymore. Is it Malcolm D. Lee who directed that? Maybe. But whomever directed Almost Christmas is a friend of her husband's. So when the friend asked if Monique would be in it just as a cameo, she agreed because the money was, you know, not where she would want it to be, but she did it as a, they, they did it as a favor because of course anything she does has to be with her husband. But when she got on set. Oh, sorry. David E. Talbert. David E. Talbert. That's who I'm talking about. Because he was a friend, she decided to do this cameo in Almost Christmas. But when she got on set and she was killing it, he was begging her, like, please do more, please do more. And that's how her part got bigger. But then she talks about how Will Packer was so unprofessional, how he was talking down to the director and she had to take a stand for the director because she couldn't see this black man be spoken to this way. And that other people who were around thanked her for sticking up to Will Packer. And then she also tells a story about how the, their their trailers blew up because the gas oh. wasn't attached to them properly, and apparently there are like there's proof of that. So, you know, she tells this story, which I feel felt like I don't know, just every everything Shannon asked her, everything she says, she has that response that drives me crazy, where she wants to put it back on you mm -hmm. to make you agree. So if you ask me, like, was I upset? that this thing happened and then my response is well would you be upset and it's like don't worry about what i think right bitch i'm asking you mm -hmm. and can you just like he even asked her like oh when you auditioned for moesha and she goes i didn't just audition for moesha and then shannon's confused mm -hmm. because bitch you were on moesha mm -hmm. you played kim's mom oh i didn't audition and then goes on to say that she does not, has never done, and will not. And then tells a story about that, how she's never auditioned. She's offer only. And it's just like, bitch, you sound difficult. You, well, okay. So then. That's one of the things I like about her, though. It Just own it. Just be difficult. You can be difficult. Well, then, let, then let's segue to the topic. Be a diva. The biggest topic of the interview is that she, so she has famously, and this is not new. I, I mean, I've known this for a while because she went on T.S. Madison's YouTube show and mm -hmm. talked about it. But even before that, Monique has said that she recorded Tyler Perry apologizing for sullying her name. Uh -huh. Specifically, Monique says that she was offered the role of Cookie in Empire. Uh -huh. But because Tyler Perry was telling people Monique was difficult. Monique says that she was told that she was not going to be offered the role of Cookie because she was known to be difficult. So she confronted Tyler Perry and recorded him, unbeknownst to him. Mm -hmm. But she's saying that in the state she lived in at the time where it happened, recording someone in that way was legal. Mm -hmm. She recorded him and he apologized, saying that he shouldn't have done that. We haven't heard the recording. No. She just she just shares it with other people 
like T.S. Madison, and, and like they, like Shannon, like Shannon, and then they confirm like, yes, what I heard is what she's saying. Like Not he, only confirm it, she asks them to say what they heard him say. <laughs> okay, but here's the thing. So she's saying because Tyler Perry said I was difficult, I lost out on work, and at that time I was making two to three million dollars per year, mm -hmm. and my career has been in the toilet for the past twelve years. So I believe Tyler Perry owes me two to three thousand, two to three million per year for twelve years. And see, is basically I, what she's saying. And I disagree with that. And I don't know that I agree with her at all because if, and this is probably what you're going to say. So I'll let you say it. Well, okay. So he, he apologized for saying you were difficult, but you were difficult. You, he thought you made something difficult for him. He thought you were difficult. He sure it was unprofessional of him to say, and that had ripple effects. Look at what happened to Mira Sorvino and Ashley Judd because of Weinstein. But but you were being difficult. Can we, you need to back up and take uh, stock of what made him, what That's motivated him to say that. That's my problem with her is like, this man thought you were difficult and he told people and listening to you in this interview, you sound difficult. Every story you tell, every, every response you make, you seem difficult. So where's the lie the, where's I, the lie i remember in i'm not defending tyler perry but I'm not like, either where's the lie i remember in 09 thinking like well good for her she's refusing to campaign for the and do this this goddamn song, circus dance that we all have to be privy to every year for the oscars but you know what she, the message she was sending was that she doesn't work for free so and and these actors don't get paid for promotion um, but there, it, it's a, there are complex issues that sh she's refusing to, uh, well, delve into about what these people probably thought when she refused to go to Cannes. Let's talk about that. So getting to her, not wanting to promote precious. So she says that she was what was in her contract, which is why she's never been sued. She likes to point out, mm -hmm. which again, makes you seem difficult. Like, so <laughs> But anyway, she says that she was under contract to promote Precious under Lee Daniels Productions. And she did that. She went on Oprah. She did a bunch of magazine covers and interviews for the film under Lee Daniels Productions. But when the film started getting buzz and then they were presenting at Cannes, that's when Lionsgate, the distributor, yeah. asked her, could you please go to Cannes? Because we think you did such a great job promoting in the U.S. and we really think you have a shot. And basically, she I'm not going to tell the full story, but she says that her husband, who represents her, told them that we don't work for free. And unless there's a fee associated mm -hmm. with it, we're not going. And then they were told we don't pay for people to do press. But they will pay for you to stay in France as long as you goddamn want. <laughs> so here's my issue with this. And this is why I think Monique is also sort of like like not relating. Like if she wants people to sympathize and empathize with her, I think. I think she's a little misguided because I think to a regular person, you have to invest in your career. Yeah. We've all done that. You've flown across country to spy out a job and, and, and meet the person who might potentially interview you to get your foot in the door. Yeah. And it, it happened to work out, but even if it didn't, it's like, you had to do that to see. I've done a lot of things in my career where it's like, I wasn't getting paid for this. You're asking more from me than I feel like I should be doing, but I'm doing, you know, I took a job at a startup because I thought there could be a lot of opportunity there, mm -hmm. even though the pay wasn't that great in the beginning. And I was being asked to do a lot of things that were not in my job description. I did it because I thought this is an investment in what my career could be. Mm -hmm. 
outside of this company with this company if it continues to grow that's the same thing with acting like you yes you only got paid fifty five thousand to be in precious and you already satisfied your contractual obligations but now there's talk about you winning prestigious awards that would put you in a different stratosphere when we're talking about black people in american film it's i don't you know what i think the problem is i don't think her husband understood what a big deal it was yes for her to be invited to do press in france in for a critically at, acclaimed at, film. at the most acclaimed film festival in the world um and and how many black filmmakers actually get invited there right so historically and i feel like if she would have talked to other actors they would have told her bitch well that's you better thing. get your you better pack your bag like and take i your fat ass to <laughs> like i well i'm friends with at least one a bona fide black actress and uh there i know there are so many people that would have been in her position black women that could have been in her position that hear her shit and are probably so mad any <laughs> actor right, would but, have jumped at the but, chance you know okay so she's collapsing her plight with that of taraji p henson right and you know part of what taraji was talking about during all of these past few weeks is combating the notion that uh black people aren't profitable overseas and you know that Tyler Perry and Oprah are thinking this is the Cannes Film Festival. You need there. That is all part of this ongoing conversation in combating those kind of stigmas and stereotypes. And her ignorant ass just sounds like I need a check to go there. I don't. It's just disappointing to hear that we haven't. You, like it's like a dog with a bone. You haven't given up this narrative for yourself instead of realizing that the you dem, you kind of shit on all these other people i need a segue so i i think a good uh way to do that is at one point monique says if i were a woman oh, if i were a white woman do you know what my name would be and she says melissa mccarthy and i just think like okay if that's how you feel what what would melissa mccarthy have done melissa mccarthy would have gone to game she would have gone to camp on her like and not get paid and uh -huh. stay in a fancy hotel someone else paid for because that's what monique was offered mm -hmm. she was offered accommodations and travel to can to bring her family to, to stay a week after can if she wanted for vacation but they're not gonna pay you to go well and and she because if you just listen to the details like well how come tyler perry and oprah couldn't have paid for her to go people were offering to pay for her to go but Oh, a but fee. I mean, it's also a business. Monique is mad that Tyler Perry, because everybody knows Tyler Perry gives what Cicely Tyson a million dollars to. Yeah, but but Tyler Perry paying Cicely Tyson was obviously his choice, but also it was a business, right? Like that's part of business operations. Like I'm right. sure they could have found a way to expense, but this is also a business. But in Monique's attitude right and i keep going back to i think for this woman who all she does is talk about positivity and i love us and baby and i'm your auntie and i if you're so great and positive and everyone loves you why are you not working why is no one checking for you why is the well, sort of the like the common thread about everyone's opinion of you that you're difficult <laughs> it, well it's also weird i feel like above all other people tyler perry seems to prize black women black actresses and the fact that he I feel like her approach to him was probably what got him saying what he said to her because he probably would have given her what she wanted under the carpet, right? Because she also says that he agreed to meet with her, but not with her husband. Yeah, see, there there are weird. And I think that there's something to that. Like maybe he felt like it's difficult to get through to her when mm -hmm. her husband's around. I don't know. 
that woman can do whatever she wants to do. She can have her husband be her manager, but it's like clearly ever since this has happened, your career has gone in the toilet and maybe she feels like she can't. I don't know. It just sounds like when she talks about her husband, it's, I'm sorry, it seems creepy because she's like, he made me a woman. He taught me how to be a woman. And then, you know, we didn't even talk about it. He, we just moved in together and I, he sat at the head of the table and I sat at the side. It's like, oh my God. What? When she talks about that moment, it's like, what are you talking again? Not relatable. She, she talks like she's the only person who's in a marriage that is successful mm-hmm. as she would put it. Like, you like you did not discover something new she, and actually the way you're talking about it sounds a little toxic so i don't it know. sounds like you the, she makes being married to a black king sound like stockholm syndrome like you sound okay she sounds like she's hostage we, i need to keep going through these notes she talks about tiffany haddish because shannon sharp brings up the fact that tiffany said that you know she doesn't do business like monique and that she doesn't understand like her husband being her manager and then monique says well you know, I don't do business like her. And maybe if she had a husband, maybe, maybe if she had a husband like mine, like mine, then she wouldn't be out here making these decisions she's making, like getting DUIs or getting uh, accused of grooming children. Well, yeah, she wouldn't. Uh, yeah, she wouldn't because she'd be hostage in her house. <laughs> she talks about Al Sharpton. She says when all this went down, she sent Al Sharpton the recording of Tyler Perry and Al Sharpton agreed that Tyler Perry should do something about this why so, because he can because so he has he, money so al sharpton contacted tyler perry and then never contacted monique again and then monique says but then you see al sharpton on the news saying we don't have to fly commercial anymore because tyler perry is going to let us use his private jet so clearly you know she's implying bought al sharpton then she talks about kevin hart kevin hart telling her like i support you whatever you want to do i'll help you oh you want to do a talk show i'll produce it so monique says that now that she has kevin hart's name attached to her new talk show she wants to do um it it's a win and so the production company was like great like if if kevin hart's attached we can get this going again but then she gets a call one day from kevin hart's manager saying kevin doesn't want to be associated with you so she calls Kevin Hart to say, why is this white man telling Mm -hmm. people that you don't want to work with me? And she says, Kevin Hart told her it was a misunderstanding and he'll straighten it out. And that was two years ago. And she's never talked to him since. Mm -hmm. Um, She says from Tyler Perry, she doesn't say explicitly she wants 24 to $36 million, but she keeps saying it like that. That's how much she lost. Then she says from Oprah, she wants an apology specifically for bringing Monique's family onto the Oprah show to talk about the abuse and all that mm-hmm. and, and not respecting her wishes of not having them on. Um, she talks about Lee Daniels and says that their relationship has been mended because he did the right thing by apologizing. That's all she wanted. Um, but also he's her friend. She also taught my, my, we're almost out of time for this topic, but she does say at the beginning of the interview <clears throat> that she has a big revelation that she, that she's going to divulge at the end of the interview. Mm-hmm. So it's like, ooh, what is she going to say? Keeping in mind that I was waiting for Shannon to ask her about, like, because she talks about being like a slut and a whore before she met her husband. Mm-hmm. And, and th- like, would would have been the perfect intro to like, oh, so you have this open marriage and yeah. you have sex with women, never mentions it. The big secret she wants to say at the end is that she says that she and Cat Williams are fraternal, spiritual, non-biological twins. Okay. Which meant nothing to me. Uh-huh. The last thing I wanted to say is Judge Mathis got on his Instagram 
after this interview and basically said that he thinks that this needs to stop these black entertainers getting on the internet ripping each other down he's saying it's embarrassing he thinks that white people are laughing at us i don't think i like like what are these studio executives thinking and i kind of i mean i i like i guess i don't know how so for cat williams who is very independent like Mm -hmm. he funds his own tours like he backs his own tours there are no sponsors he makes good money doing it people like him for being kind of crazy and irreverent so him going on club shay shay i think probably helps ticket sales monique Monique's not working because people think she's difficult. She went on with an agenda to me. She was directing. Shannon. She was fully directing that interview. Yeah. But you spend two hours to millions of viewers now. Mm-hmm. I mean, I think that, I mean, I don't know. The last time I checked, it had like 5 million views, I think. So now all you've done is solidify the fact that you seem difficult. So what was the benefit of this interview right. for Monique? Right. It had a benefit for Club Shay Shay. <laughs> Uh, but but I don't know what it's going to do for her, except make her, I mean, I just can't imagine that Oprah, Tyler Perry are going to want to work with her. I can't imagine any major studios, any networks trying to get her back on TV. Ultimate, All she's proven, because she keeps saying it over and over again, she says at the beginning of the interview, if you do something wrong, I'm going to tell on you. Mm-hmm. Right? Yeah. Yeah. I wouldn't work with her. Well, well. <laughs> I like her, but I, I wouldn't again, work with I, her. there's nothing wrong with that. You gonna tell on me? Well, no, but because your fried chicken wasn't crispy enough from cater sir. Like, I mean, I, that's like, why it's com- complicated because I think her heart's in the right place in a lot of things, but it just seems like in these 13 years since Precious and this this fallout, you haven't learned anything. What you should have learned is that you need to infiltrate. You need to say what they fucking want to hear. Well, and baby, get in there and get into a position to fuck them over if you want to fuck them over. Still, Monique, I love you and I love us and uh baby baby i hope you're at home right now with your king comfortable (laughs) eating something good but we need to take a break okay i thought we were done talking about monique but i forgot to mention that she also mentions dl hughley Mm -hmm. and how they sort of have a feud that started when she they were both doing a comedy show and she was contracted to be the headliner but he refused to go on before her so he showed up late and then I watched the clip of her talking about him and she goes in mm-hmm. like on him to the audience mm-hmm. about how she's the headliner. And once she leaves, the headliner has left. So of course they've had beef, but she also tells a story about how she was on DL Hughley's radio show, but it's kind of like how Kevin Hart has a show, but he's not usually on it. Mm-hmm. He has like a team of, well, Kevin Hart's team is kind of remedial to me, but she went on the D.L. Hughley show and he was not on that day. It was other people. And they. she said it was a great interview. Everything was going great. And then they said they wanted to play a game of Would You Rather. And she said, sure. So the game, so then they asked her, would you rather have your husband have sex with a condom with Lee Daniels or without a condom with Corinne Steffens? Who's like, a hoe. Mm-hmm. And then, of course, she immediately got upset, called D.L. Hughley on his phone. And then his response was, what? That's how we do things. Like, If anything, she should have said, like, oh, that's one that's kind of disrespectful. But here, this is what I pick. Or, or have some kind of funny response. But to show that you let that bothers you makes me think that there are strange things going on in your relationship. Like, it hit a nerve. Well, I, I just, don't know. everything out of her mouth makes her seem combative. 
Well, right. Like, yeah. and it it's just like, I don't know. You just maybe I'm it. sensitive to it because I don't want to be labeled as an angry black person. So yeah, people when people say things that are when when my boss says something to me that's kind of sideways, I just take it and think like I don't want to be difficult and there's a time and a place to rectify this and maybe that's not always the best approach well it, especially considering our secret film today maybe i shouldn't be so passive mm-hmm. but i think <laughs> but i think yeah she i think she should have done what you said is address it on air like you know this question this question seems real loose and crazy and disrespectful and what are you saying about like lee daniels like Right, but yeah, I'd, I'd be like, "What is that saying about your friend?" Yeah, what? Like, like Lee Daniels is my friend. Are you saying because he's a gay man that like having like what my husband's gonna get AIDS from having like right. she she really should have gone in in a funny way yes. and got them together yes. instead of getting mad, not finishing the interview, set, having her lawyer send a cease and desist, which is why we haven't heard the interview. Mm-hmm. But yeah, that's all. She, I, and then, well, so then, Deal Hulia, I know has responded, but we haven't listened to it. It's like somebody somewhere has got to be like, I'm above this now. Like some of this shit was years ago. And also some of the shit that people say about you, who fucking cares? It's just, I feel the same way about Bob, the drag queen thinking that he needs to uh, do a diss track to Maddie Morphosis because Maddie Morphosis called him corny on the pit stop. It's like, but girl, you are corny sometimes and take it on the chin and move on. Cause then you release, you make yourself look stupid with this subpar diss track. Well, that's the problem. <laughs> I expect drag Queens to be catty and read and all the things, but it's like, that's what got you mad. That straight white man. I mean, he really did get you together with his comeback. So for people who don't know, uh, both parties released like a diss track against each other. Yeah. After, as Nick said, well, you, said, and you Bob's put them smart. on, so I, I imbibed. Uh, and I, I have to say, well, Bob's that... diction is poor. His rhymes were kind of whack, and then Maddie just came back and. Well, it's just like you—you you think your dig is to say he looks like Miss Vito Boem from Tu Wang Fu? Girl, please, like, let's get into 2024, shall we? Anyway, moving on to the restaurant section. <laughs> on (laughs) anyway anyway more things i hate so on on melrose uh there near where we are there are three restaurants Uh and the name so there's a restaurant called osteria buca are you talking about when you drop me off the wrong place well there are three restaurants osteria buca osteria mama and osteria masa and they're all on melrose they're all close to each other and so we ordered pizza from one of them last week. Mm-hmm. And this is during like the torrential rainfall of 2024 here at LA. Yeah, monsoon season. Monsoon season. <laughs> so, and of course, we wouldn't dare order delivery in bad weather because I think that's really oh, shitty. Yeah, I, I mean, unless you're like, you know, disabled, like, I mean, like if you can't get course, out of the house. Yes, but, but we are able bodied men that can fend for ourselves. Because I yeah. see our neighbors ordering, we have a neighbor who orders most delivery like most of their meals yes so we're saying like multiple times a day but every day also you save a lot of money getting the shit yourself and he's an able-bodied person yeah so i don't know what's going on but anyway we ordered this pizza in the torrential rainfall and i drove you to go to the restaurant and i had chosen the wrong restaurant Mm-hmm. But I feel like it's not my fault. There are three restaurants called Osteria there on are, the but, same street within right, walking distance. But I said the name, like, oh, I'm going to get it from here. And he's like, you're like, that's the one that's right next to us. I'm like, oh, is it? Okay. Well. But 
to talk about that pizza. Because oh what's the style? Napol- Napolitano. And I always have such fond memories of 2009 Nine, in Minneapolis, St. Paul, the film festival. They, these people fucked up because they didn't know Nick Bell because they. Or ne- Neapolitan. Sorry. Neapolitan. <laughs> Jeanette Napolitano. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Um, they had a pizza place near the venue where all the films are being shown during the St. Paul Minneapolis Film Festival called Blaze Pizza. Punch. Punch. I'm sorry. Punch Pizza. Blaze is that. Uh, Blaze is that change. Pizza, yeah. Punch Pizza. And they were doing this thing during the film festival that was for every movie ticket you have, you get a free pizza, like one entire pizza. Yeah. yeah. But most people are only going to one, two, whatever. Oh, no. But Nick. Oh, I was going to four or five a day. Like days worth. And when I discovered that it, the ticket didn't have to be on the same day. Oh my God. So that year <laughs> we had so many punch pizzas in yeah. the house, in the refrigerator. First of all, to this day, those are still the best Neapolitan style mm-hmm. pizzas I've had. And I just have such fond memories of eat. We had to have had like 30 of them. Oh yeah. You know, in like a 10 day period. Yeah. But, um, Anyway, the pizzas we got from Osteria. Ugh, well, I don't need to, I don't need to get that again. Oh, yep. that crust tasted like I've never had such bland. The, the pizza to me is a problem in L.A. There aren't there are very few places that I've been pleased with pizza. I I mean, honestly, sometimes because we've paid good money for pizza that I'm like, we should have just went to Papa John's because I mean, yeah. I, I would have not been as disappointed and only had spent twenty dollars. Yeah, but we've spent very good money on pizzas that were there was, so mid i forget the name of that place in beverly hills that was really good though i know one of our listeners up. lives near there um, but I, I could go back there but anyway um yeah this was very <sighs> but really my gripe is about there being three restaurants with similar names on the same street within walking distance <laughs> well all overpriced and all a little like we've been to two of them and a bit disappointing films released we didn't cover oh, oh, uh, oh. out of darkness uh, yes, it's an old Stone Age film directed by Andrew Cumming, which, I mean, I knew it was coming out. You just said you didn't want to watch it, so I didn't pursue it, and uh, it, it came out. Cobweb. I liked this. I saw it. It was at Cannes. We the, reviewed something called Cobweb. Yeah, that was a terrible film. That was okay. a horror movie. People didn't like that we didn't like it. Well, they didn't? Okay. Well, whatever. I didn't like it. That's the, like the girl on the wall? Yeah. Yeah. Um, I thought that story was ridiculous. It wasn't very... It, anyway. Th- there were interesting things. I didn't like it. I liked this version of Cobweb. Kim Ji Woon. Kim Ji Woon's latest, which played in, I think, the Midnight Section of Cannes last year, which I didn't see. So I saw it at AFI Film Fest this year, starring Song Kang Ho as a film director. I, God, is it a period piece in the 70s where he's trying to remake this horror film. He's trying to reshoot the last scene and he doesn't have the authorization to do so. So there's some kind of subversive political statements about the film industry at the time. And it's this weird kind of horror soap opera. And it's a lot of fun. I thought drift. I didn't like this film. Uh, Anthony Chen, who we brought up because his film, the breaking ice, which he made after this was recently released. And I didn't like that either. Uh, But this stars Cynthia Revo and Aaliyah Shawkat, who are both on this Greek island. Shawkat is this Greek tour guide. Well, she's not Greek, but she's giving tours uh, to places on this island. And uh, Cynthia Revo is from a refugee from from some war-torn country. She's unhoused, living on the streets, and the two women become friends. And just none of it worked for me. Not, Not a moment of it. 
Ennio? Oh, I this two and a half hours. I didn't have time this week. Uh, Giuseppe Tornatore has directed a documentary about who arguably is the greatest film composer of all time, uh, Ennio Morricone. So I, I will see this eventually. I didn't have time this week. The Monk and the Gun. This is was Bhutan's official submission for the international category, the international film feature category at the Oscars this year, and I, I think it made the shortlist, directed by Paolo Choining Dorji, uh, which sounds fun. Um, maybe I'll see it one day, but it came out this week. The Taste of Things. We almost saw this. You agreed to see it. I saw it at Cannes last year. It was in competition from the Vietnamese film director Tran An Hung. Um, who I, I'm a fan of. Scent of Green Papaya is beautiful. Is this that one that the person you know asked us to watch? Yes, to cover it. Uh, oh. So I do have a review out there for it. And actually this Sunday, there's having a very... So it's a foodie film. It's a, a period piece with Juliette Binoche and Benoit Majumel, who are ex-husband and wife. Were you going to say on it. Sunday there's an event where I could get food and watch it? Yeah. Oh. But, but what they're having like a... A, a several course meal before the screening because this oh, is I'll, I'll go see the meal oh, okay i'll go see the <laughs> meal, not the movie the, the movies and i think binoche is quite lovely in the film um i think this was also shortlisted i don't think i'm not not interested in watching it i just we don't have time there's too much going on and it is long and yeah it's just the timing this week if 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 you would have been around tomorrow i would have agreed to go get the the meal and the movie same but uh but we're not and maybe you'll see it eventually and it is a sumptuous film if you see this film i would agree don't see it hungry oh well that's like watching the food network hungry yeah no don't do it projects of interest high and low which this is ironic based on what our secret film is this week but uh a24 and apple tv are uh allowing spike lee and denzel to reunite for how many times is it now uh five is this the fifth time anyway there he's spike lee's gonna remake kurosawa's uh classic kidnapping noir drama high and low which means i need to rewatch that because i've only seen it once and it was 17 years ago um which is an excellent film i mean most of kurosawa's work is excellent but uh so i'm excited to actually just that's a great excuse to rewatch this movie when i get back but uh granted that this will probably be sometime next year but to me, that's very exciting. Adam's interest. Uh, Laura Wandel, Belgian filmmaker, whose uh, debut Playground I thought was very excellent and, and difficult to watch about this young girl who's uh, witnessing her slightly older brother being bullied uh, at school and the adults clueless about what, helping them. Um, it, it's an upsetting film, but highly watchable. It's also very short. She's doing a new project. I have no idea what it's about, but this will most likely be a 2025 film. Darden brothers are the, doing something. Yes. They, uh, th uh, every other year they seem to have a new film and they're getting up there. So, and almost always I like what they do. You haven't seen oh, it. I want to say that whenever, like, because thinking about like the Coen brothers, because we just watched uh, Drive Away Dolls. Which is by one Coen brother. Right. But like, and then knowing like Darden brothers, I feel like whenever a group or like saying that they're like the Coen brothers, I always thought were very young. No, no. Because they're called brothers. Sure. But then I realized that who I was thinking of were those two black gentlemen who are directors the hughes brothers i was the, i always thought the cohen brothers were the hughes brothers so whenever 
people would say, oh, it's a Coen Brothers movie. The image I had in my head were of the two black guys. Well, the, and they have separated. They've been doing their own things for a while now, too. But then hearing Darden Brothers, I think, oh, they must be young. No. Nope. Because whenever I hear brother, I always think, like, kids. <laughs> no, these are like. Because the Coen Brothers are old white men. Yeah. Right? Mm-hmm. <laughs> well, old. I mean, they're probably 50s. Um, oh, they're so they're not old. They're not old. The, the Dardens are probably pushing 80. But Well, Drive-Away Dolls will saw out a touch. I assume like an 80-year-old uh, directed that. <laughs> well. <laughs> anyway, uh, continue with the, the Darden the, brothers. The Hughes brothers must be late 40s at least, too, by now, but or older. Anyway, uh, yeah, they're, they're again, they usually don't release a lot of things ahead of time unless they nab some notable... Uh, French actor or actress to headline some of the as they have with some of their later projects, but they have a new film that's shooting, I guess, August to October of 2024. Featherwood. Okay, so I'm not really the biggest fan of ScarJo, but she's uh, headlining a film called Featherwood, where I I think she's got some kind of an addiction issue and she's undercover and trying to expose some Aryan brotherhood and is a Texas somewhere. That's what I remember. But the exciting part is that it's going to be Andrea Arnold directing. So that will be a nice big deal for Ms. Arnold, uh, which makes me excited. Lastly, something called famous, a Jody Hill production, uh, where Zach Efron will be playing two roles. One is oh. somebody who's very famous and one is a doppelganger who travels to, uh, meet his famous lookalike. So I don't know if this is going to be like Bowfinger or something a little darker, but uh, that sounds interesting. It could be interesting. I mean, I like doppelganger shit. I find that interesting, but uh, yeah. Unfortunately, there is an entry in the obituary section. Toby Keith died. <gasps> I didn't see that. Yeah. He, wait, he can't have been that old. He was 62. Wow. Yeah, yeah. that's not that old. Um, I know that he is a country singer mm-hmm. um he died from stomach cancer and he looked pretty like recent pictures of him he looked pretty sick oh. but uh my thought about him is that you know for country music artists of a particular age he is more on the sort of progressive side yeah so i think you know obviously i i was fond of that um but yeah he's going didn't he sing uh save a horse ride a cowboy is that him i'm not uh up with country music Oh. Didn't he sing that, though? I don't know. Oh, well, didn't he sing Let's Talk About Me? My Apparently mom... his biggest song is Should Have Been a Cowboy. Okay. Maybe. I think my mom used to listen to some Toby Keith. I recognize his name and what he looks like. And then he did uh, Comedy Central's The Daily Show. So that's probably how I know who Toby Keith is. <laughs> Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy is big and rich. Sorry. Yeah, I don't know his music. But, yeah, he's gone, everyone. We're going to take a break. So I was right about the Toby Keith song, I Want to Talk About Me, which if you haven't listened to, I remember thinking it was kind of cute. The song. Okay. Uh Uh-huh. Oh. No, that was it. Did did you want that on record? Yeah. Oh, okay. Well, yeah, because I was wrong about Save a Horse, Ride a Cowboy. I was waiting because I was trying to do the intro for the secret film. (laughs) Okay, do it. Get it. The secret film this week was Nick's Choice. I asked him to choose something in honor of Black History Month, and he chose the 1992 American epic biographical drama film Malcolm X, directed uh, by the great Spike Lee. Yes. Starring Denzel Washington. Denzel. So uh, Malcolm X uh, was nominated for several. Two. 
Oh, just two? Just two, yeah. Isn't that For shocking? Best Actor and... Best Costume Design for Ruthie Carter. Okay. Mm-hmm. Well, I mean, I could go with that, too. Uh, 202 minutes long. Had yeah. never seen it. Same. What is Malcolm X about? It's a biographical epic of the controversial and influential Black nationalist leader from his early life and career as a small-time gangster to his ministry as a member of the Nation of Islam and his eventual assassination. That is the entire movie. Uh, I don't... So this movie came out when I was in high school and it was a big deal. I remember it. Um, But I... It probably wouldn't have been something I would have been drawn to in high school. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and then as an adult, probably the runtime. Well, also, yeah. I, I don't know why I haven't watched this movie, actually. Um, I think it was timing and it felt like it needed to be not something casual. I think in my mind, it's like, oh, this needs to be something, th- th- some kind of associated with some event to sit down and Yeah, see. maybe that's what I feel. Like c- certain movies like this one, it, it, it's like you can't just like plop down. Let's watch Malcolm and X watch, today. Yeah. Like, okay. So I think, you know, doing it for the podcast is a good reason to yes, watch and it. And as a kid, I had, because I was reading like my Angelo and... Um, uh, Tony Morrison and I had a co- I had a paperback copy that I picked up as at a garage sale as like a twelve year old uh, of the autobiography Malcolm X as told to Alex Haley. So the screenplay uh, was written by Arnold Pearl and Spike Lee, but it's based on largely based on the autobiography of Malcolm X. And there, so there was scripts which was written by Alex Haley. Yes, and the scripts versions have been floating around forever because a lot of people wanted to make this story, Sidney Lumet, uh, Richard Pryor. And then Spike Lee, I think Pearl still has credit, but Spike Lee basically rewrote this to his own accord. Uh, but he had to wrestle this away from Norman Jewison, the director of In the Heat of the Night, who just died recently. Oh. Because the, the producers agreed at the time, like this needs to be a black director. And then the production had some issues because the budget was in question and it was a fight to get more money, I understand. And at a point, like the studio said, we're not giving any more money and actually stopped post-production mm-hmm. because of the budget. And then I was reading that. The studio being Warner Brothers. That the film eventually uh, was able to be finished with financial assistance from several black celebrities. Including? Including Janet Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um but like Magic Johnson, Bill Cosby, Oprah Winfrey, Michael Jordan. So I mean, I that's kind of, um, I mean, it, that that's such a great story to think that this sort of epic film about a notable black figure ha- wouldn't have been or seen the light of day, maybe if it weren't for the help of other notable black but people. Isn't that to me that's disgusting that Warner Brothers like you Spike Lee, who's you know do the right thing, was only a couple years prior. He's still a hot commodity, really. I know Mo Better Blues wasn't the biggest hit for him, but like, come the fuck on. You're not going to help him out? The studio's not going to help him out? And see, they didn't like how he got the money he needed to finish it the way he wanted, so they screwed, they screwed him out, out of further projects. I forget which one, but they they uh, got they stopped him from being a part of something, some other film that he was trying to write a script for. So the movie is... Three hours, 22 minutes. We watched it in three sections, mainly because we had an engagement mm-hmm. uh, prior to... Well, I, so we went to go see Problemista, mm-hmm. which I loved. But um, I think had we been able to watch it straight through, I would have needed at least one break 
Sure. Like I probably would have said, let's stop at the two hour mark and I'll go exercise or something. Mm -hmm. Not because it's an arduous film. Actually, I think so. My overall impression of the film is it definitely feels like Spike Lee doing like an epic biopic. Uh And I think that it because typically when you get these sprawling biopics, so think of like, you know, respect with Jennifer Uh uh, Hudson. I I think that's not a good example. No. And there aren't a lot of great examples of sweeping biopics. And I think this one works pretty well. I agree. Yeah. The pacing is pretty good. The pace. And and I think it's the pacing. Now, my biggest issue with the film is some of the editing choices and the storytelling, but it almost seems like it's inevitable when you try to cram this much into damn near three and a half hours Mm -hmm. that a lot of things are going to get glossed over. So there are several moments where I felt like, Oh wow. Okay. So we're here now. Like, Mm -hmm. but my overall impression of the film is positive. What is yours? But same. I mean, to me, it, it floors me that Mel, uh, Denzel Washington did not win best actor for this. It, it, and compared to Al Pacino winning for scent of a woman, because the Academy felt Al Pacino was owed an Academy. So I, you know, I'm on record saying, I think Denzel is the same in everything and he's not my favorite. I've, I'm very familiar with his work. I would say this is the best performance you've seen. seen You haven't seen glory, huh? No glory. He's pretty good in too, but um, yeah, this is, he's impressive in it. Yes. And he really, but then the downside is that he really does carry this film. I don't think there are any other performances in the film that are even memorable. And that includes Angela Bassett. Who has played both Betty Shabazz and Coretta Scott King. Y'all know, uh, y'all know Gamilla. I think it's so, <laughs> I think it's so interesting that she has played both of those women. Um, yeah, I agree. It's not unlike, uh, this isn't as good of a film, but uh, Force Whitaker in Lee Daniels, the butler, right? You have the these luminaries all over the film, and it's really just his performance. So we have 22 minutes to get through this three hour, three and a half hour film. I'm just going to start. Oh. So the opening of the film is we have narration over the video of the Rodney King beating. Mm-hmm. And then the end of the film, after Malcolm is assassinated, we get Ossie Davis's actual eulogy mm-hmm. over video footage from of, 65 mm-hmm. of the, the real Malcolm X, like at, like uh, archival footage. I thought that the film opens and closes in a very powerful way. I mean, again, for being so long, it did feel very nicely packaged. Mm-hmm. So of course I have to talk about hair and Malcolm was known for how, you know, back in the day they would call him conks, which is basically a relaxer or what people want to call a perm. But See, so Spike Lee and Malcolm X, Denzel's character, uh, are good friends. And Spike works in a barbershop. Shorty. Mm-hmm. Shorty. And he gives Malcolm a relaxer. And it's it's pretty, I mean, it's a pretty funny scene. It's I probably the only really funny scene. And then he, at, at a point, Malcolm says, I'm not doing this again, which is also funny because we see that he's kind of a, um, addicted. Yes. Um, cause you know, people like to call relaxers crack. Cause mm-hmm. once you start, you can't, you literally can't stop. Cause if you do your hair will break off because mm-hmm. the textures are so different, but with the regrowth, but anyway, I thought that was a really good start to the film. Then we get flashbacks to when Malcolm was a kid and his upbringing, um, and his father who was a minister mm-hmm. and spoke a lot about 
blacks going back to Africa and against the KKK and against yeah. the KKK. And we get, I think the most powerful shot in the film is we get a visual of these Klansmen on horses riding towards the moon. Yeah, it's pretty good. I, that, that I would want a poster of that. Mm -hmm. I, I mean, it's eerie and it's mm -hmm. like, yeah, it's such a beautiful image. Um, well, a terrifying, image, well, but yeah, but I think in the scope of this film, it's, it's just such so beautifully done, but yeah, it's terrifying. Then, um, we learned that Malcolm, Malcolm's mother, who was fair skinned and of course, relating that to a lot of black women being raped by white slave owners, mm -hmm. that his mother was sort of, she she had made a decision that she wanted to have children with a dark skin black mm -hmm. man so that her children wouldn't be as fair skinned as her. I thought that was very powerful that knowing that about his mother and what his father believed in seeing Malcolm turn into the person he did. Well, yeah, it's, it's, it explains a lot about his influence and in, in grappling with certain things. Yeah. Uh, and, and we his, see that and, he had a lot of promise as a kid. He was a very good student mm -hmm. because he ends up being sent off. Like he had a, he, his father was ki killed suspiciously. Uh, they say it was suicide, but then he was like hit in the back of the head and put on a railroad track. And then the mom, because it was deemed suicide, the mom didn't get any life insurance. Yeah. So they were struggling and all the kids had to be separated. So Malcolm uh, got sent off and actually was given a nice, education in like an all white school the woman that he the what the, the bigger white woman that he's sent to live with is shirley is it shirley toller from the honeymoon killers oh uh but yeah, that reminded me of uh, the josephine baker story oh sure right yeah actually kids? yeah yep. so here's the point where i think things kind of get a little like breakneck speed because we see him as like a very promising young man who's saying he wants to be a lawyer but of course all the white people are telling him like you know, pick something more realistic. Yeah. Like you're smart. You should be a carpenter. Oh, yeah. But anyway, we see him being a very promising young man to all of a sudden he's working with Delroy Lindo doing like, like a gangster, like they're running numbers. Mm -hmm. So, you know, gangster light Malcolm kind of turns into a gangster being more violent, but at first he's just running numbers. Then he has an incident with Delroy that forces him to kind of go off on his own. And that's when he gets even more, reckless and ultimately gets thrown in prison for 10 years mm -hmm. delroy's a spike lee regular as well he's in crooklyn and the five bloods yeah i actually did like him in this film i thought he's he's very imposing he it's, is it's funny watching him because you think denzel is uh of tall stature next to delroy lindo like, he looks petite and we forgot to mention lynette uh mckee plays the mother oh right well so she doesn't work that much but i it's fun seeing her from the cotton club oh also during his gangster time he is with so he's really fond of this woman named laura who's a preacher's daughter and she's very like why well, can't have sex because i'm it's really pain i thought this part of the story was also kind of unnecessary sure because laura um who's the woman in girl six Teresa randall yeah he really wants her but she won't put out so he starts dating this white woman who i i mean i know it's not rebecca romaine but uh she looks like if you mix rebecca romaine stamos and june diane rayfield yeah kate vernon is her name she basically throws herself at him and it's the scene in that club is like it's clearly a black club and, and she's she's the only white spot in there but i can't who are you here with who are you here with i don't know i also i i know why it's important that his he as a person had this experience yeah. knowing what he preached later 
But the Laura character, we see throughout the first half of the film, sort of somehow, like we don't have any context, ends up being a sex worker. Uh-huh, for Teresa Randall, yeah. Teresa Randall. Mm-hmm. And I thought that was very clunkily handled. It was a little bit. And the and the host role she's on, you've never seen prettier prostitutes. Oh, beautiful. Yeah. I thought that was odd too. Mm-hmm. All of those women were beautiful. I mean Of course it's the forties. But the different expectations. Of course you would expect prostitutes to be beautiful, but the street they're on, I mean, what's that movie with Omar at or um Cuba Gooding Jr. and Emilio Estevez? Judgment night. Judgment night. Yeah. The way they paint Chicago <laughs> is what this street looks like that yeah. these prostitutes are on. So that's what I'm saying. It looks like they're in a post-apocalyptic urban setting, mm-hmm. <laughs> but then all these women look like, like top tier. But anyway, when Malcolm gets sent to prison, he meets a Muslim man mm-hmm. who starts telling him about the nation of Islam and the honorable Elijah Muhammad who I said there could be a drinking game because the number of times the honorable Elijah Muhammad is said is <laughs> it's kind of humorous, but we, uh, we, we see him. I also thought the prison segment felt like it was at breakneck speed because, and also confusing because we had already been told that Malcolm was a very good student, very smart. But then when we see him in prison, he's reading that dictionary like he doesn't know how to read. Basically, yeah. It's like he's had to recalibrate in a way that doesn't quite make as much sense. Like, I also don't understand like his correspondence with Elijah Muhammad and why they chose him. The, the man in prison who takes a liking to Malcolm says, I see something in you. Mm-hmm. I don't know what that is except him being defiant well, he's towards a guard. But he's corresponding with Elijah Muhammad. And when he gets out, he's earned his master's degree and he goes to see Elijah Muhammad. And like, that's where Malcolm is born. Malcolm X is born. And he starts like doing like activist work and getting his name. His name is getting bigger and bigger. And that's where things become problematic because he's sort of outshining the nation as a whole. And then, which feels very much crabs in a bucket to me. It's like, shouldn't the fact that he's, uh succeeding uh be good for all of you yeah Mm. yeah but well there's a scene where elijah muhammad who's played by al freeman jr tells him i think he's like kind of sick in his deathbed we're made to believe but he tells uh malcolm x that he was chosen by god and after to be a prophet and after me there will be no more yeah i just think that it's like how the fuck does that work sir i think i need to like i didn't quite understand how this man really thought that any of this made sense and like because he he says that i would die for a lot the honorable yeah. Elijah Muhammad, mm-hmm. and i just didn't quite i i don't think that it, it it doesn't get to simmer enough in that regard like i think we needed more time there should have been a larger proportion of time in jail where he really felt this connection to this man he's never heard of or met to the point where he would devote his life to him. And then when he heard that bullshit about uh, God spoke to me, I created this religion. And once I'm gone, it's gone. My first thought, like, what's going to happen to me and us? And Yeah. What about the rest of us in the house? And then it's not until he marries uh, Betty Shabazz, uh, uh, Angela Bassett's character, that he's she questions like where's the money fool mm-hmm. like all these fools have own houses and mm-hmm. drive nice cars and have all these clothes and we live in this house they rent for us and we don't have shit mm-hmm. i just find it hard to believe that a man who was hustling about his paper 
just couldn't see like how could a hustler who didn't play about their money get into a situation where now it's like they they, they don't see they're being hustled mm-hmm. and don't care about money mm-hmm. but well and to see that switch because you know he the the one the white woman he's in the relationship with is also associated with all these other toxic horrible things cocaine uh hair you know the the eradication of his own culture basically is what she stands to represent but um the fact that he never goes back to the arms of a white woman is interesting that one of the my favorite scenes is after he has become notorious in the press this little white i assume she's a college student because she's carrying books comes up to him and she, i mean <laughs> How with the audacity, he's with a group of other people and she walks right up to him, stops him in his tracks and says, like, I know what my ancestors did. I can't help them. I'm a good white person. What can I do to help you? She says, what can a white person like me who isn't prejudiced do? <laughs> and Malcolm looks at her and walks smooth past her. I thought no, was... he said nothing. Oh, he did say <laughs> he nothing. He says nothing. I didn't hear the nothing part. Oh, I did. I was like, oh. Oh, that's even better. <laughs> do you know what that reminded me of? Lady Gaga during, all, you know, you know, during the the tragedy of George Floyd's murder in the cultural aftermath of that saying something similar, like, well, what can we do? It's like, girl, if you have to ask, you need to need to be quiet and listen. If you need to ask that right now, after what do you need to do? Well, not just do a song with Beyonce, I guess. (laughs) Well, getting back to Malcolm's gangster time before he went to prison, he was really wild. I mean, that one, the reason Delroy Lindo takes notice of him is (laughs) When Malcolm and Spike first start going out, they're dressed like birds, like really bright colors and everyone's making fun of them. And they walk into a bar, like a lounge, and this man is picking on Malcolm's clothes. His pinstripe red. And Malcolm busts him upside the head with a bottle. And that's when Delroy Lindo says, come over here. You have a lot of charisma. (laughs) And that guy that gets hit over the head and was like, sobbing about it's like well you were giving this young man shit so i don't know then we see a point like this is after he kind of does delroy wrong and has to escape and then now he's kind of doing his own thing and he's with the guy from poetic justice who has hiv oh robert Gwynvir smith and they have this russian roulette scene that was so stressful mm-hmm. <laughs> and i'm like god he's an awful person yes and then after that we see him getting his relaxer touched up like they're in the house and spike puts on the relaxer and for anyone who's never had one it those are especially back then that was like straight up lie Mm -hmm. like a very like highly alkaline solution on your head and it burns really bad and so and you know it's working when it starts to burn that's when you rinse it out and they go to rinse them out and the water's been turned off or something Mm -hmm. so of course malcolm freaks out because his head's on fire and he dunks his head in the toilet water Mm -hmm. And then as he's trying to get it out, the police come and arrest him and don't let him rinse it out. So when we see him in court, his hair is all fried and crazy. (laughs) He looks like Fire Marshal Bill. (laughs) But um, yeah, getting back to him in prison, I think because then there's that moment when Malcolm has been dealing with the with, with the uh, Muslim guy and he's and this the point where he's telling him about how you have to pray six times a day and get on your knees. I thought that scene was corny because I didn't understand why Malcolm won't get on his knees to pray. Mm-hmm. Like all of it felt like I'm, I'm just confused now. Like, did you not know this was a religion and that you're praying? And mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't fully understand what Malcolm 
what was his connection to like being Muslim? Uh, to, well, to me, like most religions, especially when you're in a dire situation, are uh, it's a, a way to get through. Like it's a way for your mind to get through. Right. In but I'm to, in a way to community, you know. But I'm but, saying that I, because I didn't read the book, I'm assuming he spoke more about his connection to, but in the film, I don't get a sense of like what drew him what to. What this means to. Well, especially because when, he doesn't even go to Mecca until, ye, like, till he's already notable. Mm hmm. And then it's like a, a a thing that people are talking about in the press and like the CIA follows him there too, which is another part of the movie that I feel is not really, it's almost like they're afraid to say that his assassination might've been associated. With well, especially because of what's come out recently, right? Yeah. So I, I think that's a deficit. Yeah. I think Spike wanted to avoid, he's not trying to make Oliver Stone's JFK, right? It, which is all about the conspiracy, conspiracy theories. Yeah. So this is, this is about the man, not about, stuff that we can't help and th there's only conjecture about potentially especially in 1992 you know because that that policeman that just died that wrote that poison pen letter suggesting the fbi and the cia were all involved with the uh nation of islam and getting rid of malcolm x after malcolm becomes a minister and he's doing these rallies shorty shows up spike lee's character and of course spike thinks malcolm is just running game mm-hmm He's like, let's go in the alley. Yeah, let's go in the alley and do some coke. And Malcolm's like, no, brother, I haven't had drugs in eight years, and this is my life now, and you need to get with the program, and we need to shave this uh, relaxed hair off your head. And then we get a montage of him visiting or trying to catch up with the people he used to know back in the day. Mm -hmm. And that's when we revisit Delroy Lindo, and he's in a bad way. Mm -hmm. I thought that was a good scene, but I was kind of frustrated that we never went back to him. Like, like what? I didn't fully even understand what was going on with his character. Mm -hmm. um, Okay, the the Nation of Islam and them talking about the role of women and it's like, oh, we're just placing this new hierarchy. It's such bullshit to me. But um, yeah, I mean, it, talking about like what women are appropriate, it also kind of speaks to eugenics. Like they have to be a certain height and a certain color, and it's yeah. for the betterment of the race. But it's like, well, isn't that placing some weird expectations? My on general people? thought about religion is like, how do y'all listen? Because the other thing is like, if I believed in God, I feel like, and this is how I felt as a kid, like this idea of God and having this feeling in your heart and wanting to be God-like and, and be a good person so that you can eventually meet God. To me, that is a, a noble thing. Or if that's your North star, I like a person could do worse, mm -hmm. but then you go to church and I remember going to church and it's like this man on the pulpit acts like a crackhead saying all this crazy shit. Uh -huh. And then it's like, and then coming to find out later that he died of AIDS was probably having sex with men. But mm -hmm. then I remember him preaching about a homosexual, homosexuality is a sin but whatever like why are we worshiping these men right that if, getting through their own self-loathing at our benefit yeah and then you hear them say crazy shit like the woman you need to be with has to be like this and she has to be half, half your, your age, age plus, plus seven. seven and like who what is this no. i feel like if god wanted me to do this he can tell me in my head like i don't need some <laughs> some raggedy man driving a cadillac who right. keeps asking me for money every sunday and wednesday during bible study to tell me anything Right. So again, I think for someone who used to be a hustler, for someone who used to run game, I feel like I really needed to understand. I, I think that someone like as intelligent as him would have understood that side of what this is. I well. Now, I do think that what he thought he was doing was good work. 
Yeah. So that part of so I'm not questioning like that part of it. I'm just saying that there needed to be like a literal come to Jesus moment. And then what his, I don't get a sense of what his faith is connected to. Well, especially when another young man comes to him and says like, I want to be part of the nation of Islam because I want to be like you. And he's like, well, do you, do you know anything about being Muslim? And the guy's like, well, no. <laughs> right. And then we do have some black Christians who kind of confront him and, they're critical of mm -hmm. them because of course they're like, what the hell is this? And also y'all Muslims don't ever do anything for the community unless it's for another Muslim. Mm -hmm. And that's when we get what I think my favorite scene of the movie is where seen as in like, I like the way it's shot and the, and the feeling of it is someone confronts Malcolm saying like this brother got beat up by the police at this place and they took him in and like, he's going to die sitting in jail, help us. And then this woman tells Malcolm, like, he's not going to do shit. They only care about other Muslims. And that's when Malcolm decides that he's going to bring his people down to the police station. And they have all these people outside. And he basically tells those cops, like, if you don't verify that this man, Brother Johnson, is in here and getting proper medical care, there's going to be a problem. Well, not just out lined up outside. They're in formation. In formation. Mm -hmm. Beyonce. Mm -hmm. So then the entire community marches down to the hospital. And then it turns out to be a black doctor who comes out and says, he's going to be fine. He's getting the best care he can. And that's when Malcolm does the signal mm -hmm. and all the, the, the uh, nation of Islam members march in formation out. Mm -hmm. And then that's when one of the police sergeants says that's too much power for one man to have. Mm -hmm. And that's when we start getting like, clearly their phones being tapped. Mm -hmm. They're being harassed. That's also when we start realizing that, the bro the other brothers of the nation of islam are jealous maybe of him they definitely are yes. and then that's when they start harassing him and that's when it becomes clear like there's i mean we're told that there is a hit out on him mm -hmm. and then of course that's when malcolm gets shot at a speaking engagement but uh you know he's saying things that scared these white people yeah oh my god can you imagine in 1965 can you imagine <laughs> uh and what i think he kind of fucks up is his reaction to jfk uh <laughs> we well here we have two minutes left um i thought that the the scene where well first of all malcolm marrying betty felt like it just came out of nowhere and then immediately she's like i want to have a bunch of kids with you and okay like, okay uh then we have betty confronting malcolm about elijah muhammad's extramarital affairs and then elijah uh, malcolm confronts elijah and he basically says like he needs to be fertile like saying some dumb shit mm -hmm. but that's when it's clear to malcolm that like he needs to he fully needs to separate himself from this man mm -hmm. um who's been talking shit about him anyway yeah <laughs> then betty confronts malcolm like how can you not see that you're being betrayed like everyone yeah. can see it but you i also felt like that needed more time we're told at one point that the well, nation wanted to wire malcolm's car to like have it explode on his ass right so things were getting real hot then that we get the segment where he goes to egypt I thought that was there were some nice shots but again it felt very rushed he comes back a little more a little wiser <laughs> he comes back and then we get the moment where it seems like what they're trying to tell us is there was an earlier assassination attempt on him because we hear a guy in the crowd at a speaking engagement yell get your hand out of my pocket to create a diversion yeah but nothing happens and then on the night that malcolm is actually assassinated he that same guy yells get your hand out of my pocket and then they throw like a smoke bomb mm -hmm. and so i thought that was creepy in hindsight yes but there was an earlier attempt well and then in front of his wife and children i know my last oh. note is that at the end of the film during the 
end credits, we get a scene with Nelson Mandela mm-hmm. talking to cameo. children, yeah. which is, I mean, that's pretty major. What would you give Malcolm X? It's not my favorite Spike Lee film. No. Um, favorite being Do the Right Thing for me. Yeah, most likely. Uh, I'm trying to. Th- oh, Bamboozle. I would love to have Spike Lee do another biopic, though. Yeah. Because I really liked how he handled this. Yeah, it's got his stamp all over it. Those yeah. those signature shots he does. Um, Bamboozled, I, I love, too. And I think is more powerful and subversive. I, I think we're chained to, you know, the, the, the real life story of this person. And I think biopics often feel a little more limited to me in that regard but this is definitely one of the best biopics probably ever made so what would you give it three and a half i would give it three and a half out of five as well that's all the time we have ta-ta